as we continue in our series on ridiculous faith. Um, that's not it, just in case you were confused. That's ridiculous, but it's not what we're talking about. When we talk about ridiculous faith, we are talking about stepping out and doing something impossible. When we talk about ridiculous faith, we are talking about you putting yourself in a, in, in a position where you understand that the only way things work is if the God of the universe shows up, right? Because what happens, and this was true for Daniel, and we read about him in chapter one, is that when we live a life of ridiculous faith, we understand that God will do the impossible. And notice that we say impossible in air quotes, because with God, nothing is impossible. But we get to this point where we understand that God will do the impossible to accomplish his will through us. See, what happens for us all too often is we get this idea and we get this sense that God wants to do things through us, but when we think about what those things are, we tend to think about them being things that we would typically do, things that we can imagine, things that we can pull off, right? God wants to do things through us, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something, and I'm going to say, well, I did that for God, right? But that's not what, I mean, with, with all, all due respect, that's not what God wants to accomplish through you. If you can accomplish it on your own, then it isn't really what God is trying to accomplish through you. If it's something that you can easily go do by yourself, then it's not something that God is wanting to do through you. It might be something that you want to do, and it might be very nice, but what God wants to accomplish through you is ridiculous and impossible unless God shows up. See, here, here's what we learned in chapter 1 of Daniel, and it's what we're going to learn as we continue in the story of Daniel, that what God wants to accomplish through you is something that is so ridiculous that if God decided to take the day off, you would be sunk. Ridiculous faith puts you in a position where God shows up or you're done for. That's what ridiculous faith is. Ridiculous faith is trusting God for something that is impossible. And I would venture to say as we get started today that there are some of you that need to trust God for something impossible. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's physical healing. Like you just need to trust God for the impossible and that's physical healing or it's, it's your mental health or it's the fact that, that you are emotionally okay with the fact that healing isn't coming and that you're ready and that you trust the God of the universe. Maybe you need to trust God in ridiculous faith. You need to trust God for the thing that you can't do for yourself to, to fix your marriage. Maybe you need to trust God um, to bring your children home. Maybe you need to trust God to, to, to get to church on time without fighting with your family. I don't know, Lisa, I'm giving you that one. I don't know what it is, guys. 
I don't know what it is, but I would imagine that all of us here at some point in time, in some way, shape, or form, we are, we are wrestling in this, in this space of we need to have ridiculous faith about something that just seems so impossible. But you know what? God wants to do those impossible things in and through you. Uh, and there's no promises. There's no guarantees. But when we follow God, what we say, God, is, you know what? If I give you everything I have, then you know what? Whatever you give me in return is going to be enough. And I'm sure of it. Whatever you give me in return, if I give you God, if I give you everything I have, whatever you give me is more than I need to take care of everything that I need. That's just all there is to it. That's the way that this works. That's what ridiculous faith is, is saying, God, you have everything I've got, whatever you give my way, that is going to be enough for me to make it through. Guys, that's, that's where we have to live. And if we can't live there, then we can't claim to have ridiculous faith. We can claim to have regular faith. I mean, I've got faith in a lot of things. I have faith that, that you know, when, when I go to the grocery store and I, I get groceries, that they're going to have what I need, Right? I have faith that when I give them my debit card, almost always, it's going to work, right? I, I have faith when I go start my car that it's going to start. I have faith in a lot of things. It's regular faith. But God isn't asking you to have regular faith. God is asking you to have ridiculous faith. And it's the faith that when you give him everything you have, that you can trust that whatever he gives you back is going to be just enough. That you're going to have everything that you need. Because ridiculous faith puts us in a position where either God shows up or we're done for. By way of short recap, we met Daniel last week. Daniel and his three friends um, we know them by their um, we know them by their Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel and his his three friends uh, were part of the conquest of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, in the Babylonian Empire. Remember what happens is is Babylon has risen to be the world power. Nebuchadnezzar, young king at this point in time, um, has won a decisive victory. He's conquered the known world. Um, and part of that is he's entered into a um, treaty with Israel. And the treaty with Israel basically says, I'm going to take whatever I want from you. I'm going to put a puppet king on your throne. And that's the way it's going to be. And if you cross me, I will destroy you. And that happened on a couple of occasions where Israel, um, God said, submit, it'll be better for you, submit. But the kings of Israel listened to false prophets who said, no, fight back. God will never let us be conquered. So they fought back and Nebuchadnezzar crushed them yet again. And finally, the, the final time, he, he not only took the treasures out of the temple, but he raised the temple to the ground. God's resting place. God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army to raise it to the ground. And part of the conquest is that he took Daniel and his three friends and he took them back and he, he put them in his service. 
And we read last week that, that Daniel led the charge to live a life of ridiculous faith, even in service um, away from um, his God, because his God is everywhere. And so it started with something simple. The king said, you're going to eat this food and you're going to drink this wine and you're going to be prepared um, in three years to enter into my service. And Daniel said, well, the problem is that drinking that wine and eating that food, which is unclean, it's been sacrificed to gods, it's unclean, it's ceremonially wrong, I can't do it because what will happen is that eating that will keep me away from God. And Daniel knew something, and we learned it last week, that when you compromise, it is impossible to compromise and be elevated. This world will tell us that when you compromise a little bit, that you'll be elevated. The church gets told that all the time. If you would just allow this, people would start coming back to the church. If you would just accept this, people will start coming back to the church. If you would just stop pointing out sin, people would come back to the church and it'll be okay. But we know the truth. It's the same truth that Daniel knew. It's the same truth that Paul knew. It's the same truth that's littered through scripture is that you can't be elevated when it starts off with a compromise. So Daniel in ridiculous faith refuses to compromise. He says, God, I'm giving you everything I have. And by the way, that means his life. I'm giving you everything I have. And what you give me will be just enough. And what God gave him was everything he needed. So that Daniel and his three friends were elevated. Daniel and his three friends were honored. Daniel and his three friends were given a powerful position in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And Daniel and his three friends, Daniel and his three friends um, were given wisdom beyond measure. They were wiser, the word tells us in chapter one, than 10 of the regular wise men that Nebuchadnezzar would talk to. And then we read at the end this random little statement that in Daniel was also given by God the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And that matters because of what happens today. And we're going to be in Daniel 2, and we're going to tackle this. And if you're looking ahead and following along in your Bible, you're going to panic a little bit because you're going to see that Daniel 2 is 49 verses. I know. We're going to be okay. We're going to work through it. Um, I'm not going to read it all to you. Um, but I promise you, you're going to get the gist and we're going to highlight the things that you need to know to learn what God wants to teach us. But I would encourage you to do this. When you go home today, read through Daniel 2 in its entirety. Pray through it, read through it. I'd, I'd encourage you this, like, like here, here's newsflash. We're walking through this. Next week, we're going to be in Daniel 3, right? So if you want to get a head start, you can read through Daniel 3 in preparation for next week, okay? But we're going to do this together. So Daniel 2 starts this way, Okay. Um, one night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. Now, there's an important clarification here, something I want you to know. Okay, this is early on. So Nebuchadnezzar knows Daniel, but this is not after Daniel has firmly established himself as critical to Nebuchadnezzar's reign, okay? Nebuchadnezzar is aware of Daniel and his three friends, but, but he has not yet shown himself to be critical. This is fact, this will be in chapter two. This'll be that moment. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. How many of you, raise your hand, have had such disturbing dreams that you could not sleep? Me too. They're bad. 
when we read disturbing dreams, it's kind of sanitized. Here's what I want you to think. Nebuchadnezzar had night terrors. He had night terrors. And it wasn't just one night. It was over the course of time that Nebuchadnezzar um, had night terrors. It says one night there, and one night, what we're going to read is the narrative where the straw that finally broke, and he said, okay, enough is enough. But this is a continual thing where, where he's having these visions and these dreams that terrify him. Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. So we called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. Right? Now, that might seem weird to you, but that's what these people did. Right? Now, now the, the, there's a weird part in there that we'll get to, but the idea is um, he had surrounded himself with people like Daniel and his friends, the wisest of the wise from all over the world, some um, from his own empire and many from the places that he'd conquered. That was his MO. Bring them in, train them up. They would then be able to tell him wisdom and counsel and guide him in the ways that he should go. This way, he thought he has surrounded himself with the absolute best of the best. This is the board of directors that he's put around himself where he should never have something go unanswered. Everybody should be able to contribute. This should work. These are the philosophers, the PhDs, the psychics, the mystics, the astrologists, the just really smart people that he has surrounded himself with. And so he calls in some of them, right? Like, it's not like he called in every single one in the nation. He calls in some of them, some of them that are on duty, that are attending him, and he says, come um, and tell me what I have dreamed. Notice that. He's not saying to them, come on in and tell me what my dream means. But he says this, come here and tell me what I dreamed. Imagine your kid calling you into the bedroom. Mom, mommy, daddy, I had a bad dream. Tell me what it was. In that moment, you you would feel a little stuck, right? Because while I could say to Aubrey, Travis, you you know, and, and Riley, I could say to them, like, look, guys, it's okay. Your dream was not a big deal. It was just a scary dream. It's not something to worry about. If they would say to me, well, I will only believe you if you tell me what I dreamed. You only can tell me that it's no big deal if you can tell me what it was. I'm stuck. Because I can't say to Aubrey or Travis or Riley, well, I know what you dreamed. I mean, I could take a shot in the dark, but my shots in the dark are probably not awesome because when I was a kid, the only nightmare I ever remember, like, I, don't re- I know I dream, but I don't remember my dreams very often. When I do, they're usually not awesome. But the only one I remember from a kid was when my dad in our old Granada, we had a Granada, right? You know, there was an eight-track player in the Granada. And the song... One-Eyed, One-Horned, Giant, Purple People Eater was on. And I had a dream about a one-eyed, one-horned, giant, purple people eater. That's not the weird part. The weird part is this. In the dream, I was purple. 
And so I knew, like, in the core of me, I knew I wasn't safe. And I, I think that the song meant that, the, perp, that the, the people eater was purple. But when I went to bed and I had a dream, I was purple, and there was a giant thing that was only after me because I was purple. It's weird. It's the worst nightmare I ever had when I was a kid. It's the only one I remember. And if Aubrey and Travis and Riley said, hey, we'll trust you, but only if you tell us what our dream was, all I would have was, well, you were purple, and there was a giant one-eyed, one-horned beast that was trying to eat you. And they would say, you know what? You're full of it. You're fake. Get out. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Um, and that's basically the way this goes. The, the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king. This is their sign of respect. Long live the king. They usually say this right before they tell the king bad news. Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it meant right? That seems reasonable. Tell us the dream, and then we'll tell you what it meant. But Nebuchadnezzar's not having it. He says, no, 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 no. I am serious about this. Like this time, I'm serious. This dream was so terrifying. It was so upsetting. It was so frightening that I refuse to play this game with you. If you don't tell me what my dream was, and then tell me what it meant, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. This dude is desperate. He is desperate. And here, here's, here's how it goes. Here's what the astrologers say. It starts in verse 7. They say, they say again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious when I say if you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed. You've conspired to tell me lies, hoping I'll change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. Then, then get this. The astrologers reply, no one on earth can tell you this dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing from any magician or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. And they do not live here among the people. So what happens here is the enchanters and the sorcerers, they freak out because Nebuchadnezzar admittedly has a temper and in his temper he said you either tell me what I dreamed or I will not only kill you but I will bring your houses to rubble I will wipe you out if you don't tell me not only what I dreamed but what it means and the, the enchanters the sorcerers they say Nebuchadnezzar look great king long live the king forever live the king but you're nuts like no king no matter how great or how small, has ever asked such a thing because it's ridiculous. And you know why it's ridiculous? Right? Because nobody knows except the gods, and they don't live here among the people. That's what he says. Well, the thing is, they're wrong. They're very wrong, because even the gods couldn't tell. Because here's the thing that you need to understand about Satan um, and those that serve him. They are not God. They are, uh, they are not omniscient. They don't know everything. Satan cannot read your mind. Satan does not know what you think. Satan is wildly limited in that way. 
Satan is not all-powerful. Satan can't decide that he wants to know your dream and then tell you, or, or, or tell those that, that honor him. Now, I, want, I want to be careful. See, there is real power in these magicians and these enchanters and these astrologers, these that practice the dark arts. There is real power there. When we read through the Old Testament and we read those things, that is not to be trifled with. It is not to be taken lightly. Right? We did a coffee and conversation on some of that stuff. You shouldn't mess with it either. You know, back, back last year, you shouldn't mess with it either. It's not good. Right? You shouldn't want or desire those things. There is real power in that, but it is fake, false, demonic, evil power. And so is it possible that these magicians and enchanters and astrologers, these wise men, that they could do mystical things? Sure. When you read through this, you should understand that that's very possible. It's very possible that they could do mystical things. But they could do mystical things only to a degree because the God that they serve is a small G God, is a demonic God, is ultimately Satan. And Satan is not omniscient. And so what Nebuchadnezzar has done here is he has set up an ultimate showdown between the gods that his wise men serve, the small g demonic gods, and the God of the universe. And only one of them is all-knowing. And only one of them is all-powerful. But this is what happens. He, he tells them, you're stalling. I know you're stalling. You tell me now. They say, oh, king, you're being ridiculous. Nobody has ever asked such a thing before. So Nebuchadnezzar, oh my goodness, I got to find the right thing there. Yep. Nebuchadnezzar, then what he does is he orders out of his anger because he has a temper. What he does is out of his anger, he says, you know what? Kill them all. How dare they question me? How dare they tell me that I don't have a right to tell them the way it's going to be. How dare they tell me that I'm asking something too hard? They're fakes, they're liars, they're frauds. Kill them all. And he does. He sends his armies out to kill every single wise man that there is. They're to be rounded up and they are to be executed because they couldn't do what the king asked. And he is terrified and he wants answers. And if he's not going to get answers, he's at least going to get vengeance. And so he wants them all dead. He wants them all destroyed. And guess what? That includes Daniel and his three friends. Because they are lumped in to this camp of wise men and advisors. And so Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to their house to kill them. But Daniel handles the situation with wisdom and discretion. Here's what Daniel does. Daniel says to the commander, he says, well, time out, time out, time out, time out. What are, you, what are you doing? Why are you trying to hurt me? Why are you trying to kill us? He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened, and Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. So this is what Daniel does. Daniel finds out, hey, by the way, you and your friends are set to be executed. They're set to be executed because Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream, Right? He had a scary, terrifying dream, and he demanded that everybody tell him what the dream was and what the dream meant. Nobody could do it, and so he's going to kill everybody. And Daniel says, well, wait a minute. And he goes and he tells the king, hey, if you just hold on, I can do it. If you just slow down, I can do it. Now, get this. Like, like so, so, Every wise man has said, not only can we not do it, it's an unreasonable ask, okay? It can't be done. Daniel says, hey, I got this. King Nebuchadnezzar, 
give us a little time and I will take care of it. And the reason that Daniel can do that is because Daniel has this kind of faith that's ridiculous. Look at this. This is Jesus talking, and he says to the disciples, the disciples want to know why they can't do crazy stuff. And by crazy stuff, I mean this big, brash, bold, awesome things that people would look at and say, wow, how did you do that? And what what Jesus says is you can't do that because you don't have enough faith. And then Jesus said, look, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. So this is a weird thing that Jesus is saying. It sounds like he's contradicting himself, okay? What Jesus says to the disciples, these are his followers, right? These are the 12 that follow him around. What he says to his disciples, the followers, is you can't do this thing because you don't have enough faith to do this thing. Then he says, oh, by the way, you don't need a ton of it. Just this little mustard seed-sized faith would be enough. And so it's weird because he says, you don't have enough. And so when he says, you don't have enough faith, you would think that initially what the disciples would be thinking is, I better go collect faith. I better get more and more faith. I better have a lot of faith, right? Because Jesus says, I can't do this stuff because I don't have enough, so I better get more. But then Jesus, knowing that that's their thought, is that they're going to go out and collect faith like points. Like, I mean, I know you play those games, right, where you go out and collect points. Right? And you go, oh, I get more points. Or is it coins? Or what is it you collect? I don't know. Right? But you get more and more of them. And the more and more you have, then the more powerful or higher up you get. And so you collect and you collect and you collect. And Jesus says, because he knows this is what they think, he says, stop, you're thinking of it all wrong. When I say you don't have enough faith, I mean you have no faith. Because you don't need more and more of it. You just need a little bit of it, just like a mustard seed. If you had faith that was just the size of a mustard seed, then all of a sudden you could say to that mountain, hey, mountain, I don't like you there. I would much rather you were over there and the mountain would get up and the mountain would move. It says all you need for that is mustard-sized faith. You don't need to collect more and more of it. You need mustard-sized faith. And what Jesus is saying here is like, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is, what do you have real faith in? When he says you don't have enough faith, what he's saying is you don't have enough faith in me. And, and, And in the context here, This is about casting out demons. There is a demon that is tormenting a girl, and they are trying to cast out the demon, and the demon won't budge. And so they say, Jesus, why can't we do it? And he says, you don't have enough faith. But what he's really saying is, you have plenty of faith in the demon. You have plenty of faith in how big and strong and powerful the demon is, but you don't have enough in me. You've got plenty of faith in the mountain, But do you have enough in me? Do you have even mustard-sized faith in me that I can do what I said I'm going to do? And so here's, here's the thing that Daniel knows and the thing that we ultimately have to learn. It's not the mountain that matters, guys, but the faith. The obstacle doesn't matter, but the object of your faith does. I don't know what you're dealing with today. It just might be uncontrollable grief. It might be angst about your future. It might be financial insecurity. Again, we have this long litany, this list of things that it might be. But listen to me, the obstacle isn't the issue. The obstacle doesn't matter. The object of your faith is what matters. Daniel knows this, right? That's why Daniel goes to the king and he says, look, I just need more time. 
The mountain is big and heavy and it's rooted in the ground and it goes deep. But I can move it. I just need a little more time. Don't kill everybody yet. Don't freak out yet. Don't jump off the bridge yet. Don't panic yet. Just give me time. Because I have faith, not in the obstacle, not in myself, but in the God of the universe. So that's what Daniel does, right? Oh, man, I got touchy fingers today. So then Daniel goes home and he says to his friends, hey, look, we got a problem. Um, We're all slated to die. So he tells his friend, by the way, um, Brittany and I were talking about this week. Here, look, we, we get to use their Jewish names here. Um, he, he came and he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He tells them uh, what had happened. And he urges them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. So he comes and he says, okay, okay, listen, guys, we got a problem Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill us because we don't know what his dream was. God is going to help us, but we got to pray and we got to ask. Don't worry about the mountain. Don't worry about the dream. Don't fixate on the dream. Fixate on the God. Stop worrying about what you don't know and start worrying about who you do know. Stop focusing here and start focusing here. And there's good advice for us there, right? Like, like whenever we've got an obstacle that feels so heavy, what we're hearing from Daniel is don't worry about the obstacle. Worry about the God of the universe who wants to be there for you. Because our God is a lion roaring with power, fighting our battles. And ultimately, every knee will bow. And our God is a lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His, his blood makes the way. Everything will be different. And so Daniel says, stop worrying about this. Stop. Let's not focus on the dream. Let's not put our heads together and brainstorm, pull out the whiteboard, and come up with a list of the most possible things that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about. That's what I would have done. I would have said, okay, well, guys, we've got 24 hours. Let's figure this out. Brew a pot of coffee. Let's get out the board, and let's brainstorm. Was it his dad? No. Was it a one-eyed, one-horned, giant purple people eater? Probably not, right? Was it a horse? No. A unicorn jumping over a rainbow? Maybe. Put that in the maybe pile. This is the way I would have approached it, but Daniel says, no, 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 no. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about the dream. Let's just focus on the God of the universe who does everything. Let's go ahead and look at him and let him figure it out. Because Daniel knows something pretty critical here. Listen, when you are smack dab in the will of God, you are immortal. When you are smack dab in the middle of God, you are untouchable. Nothing can happen to you when you are in God's will until he decides that it's time. And so Daniel says, I am in this position because God has put me in this position. I don't have to worry about what's next. I just have to worry about following God. And when God's done with me, guess what? Then that's okay. Because I am immortal. I'm all good. And so they pray, and they pray, and they pray. And then, of course, that night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. The secret is revealed to Daniel, and Daniel basically says, thanks, God. 
He says it more eloquently than that. There's a little prayer that's recorded for us from verses 20 to verses 23. You can read that. But basically what he says is, I knew you had my back. You are God. You alone knew the secret. Not only did you alone know the secret, you gave it to Nebuchadnezzar. You caused him to dream this. And now it's my privilege to go tell him what it is. And you know what's cool about this too? Is that Daniel doesn't get up from his dream, run out to tell Nebuchadnezzar. He knows that he's got a more important appointment. And his most important appointment is with the God of the universe. So he stops and he prays. And he tells God, thank you. And he acknowledges God. See, um, one, of the, one of the things, it's a hallmark, it's a trait. It goes hand in hand with ridiculous faith. And here's what it is. Um, goes hand in hand with ridiculous faith. It's this idea of humility. See, Daniel knows he didn't do this. He knows he didn't do this. God did this. Daniel isn't so awesome that he just automatically knows dreams and then knows what they mean. But the God of the universe told him and the God of the universe interpreted for him. And so now he is in a position to go tell Nebuchadnezzar. He's in a position to save his own life, to save his friend's life, to save countless other lives of people he doesn't even know. Why? Because the God of the universe did that. And so that's what he gets to do. And then he goes, so Daniel says, don't kill the wise men, take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of the dream. Ariot quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. Notice Ariot makes himself pretty important there, like, I found this guy. Man, this guy came and found you. Come on, right? But I found this guy, like, I was out looking for you, King Nebuchadnezzar, and I found a guy. I know you told me to kill him, but I didn't, right? But, but I got a guy, and he can tell you what your dream meant. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, uh, that's his Babylonian name that was given to him, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Is it true? Like, don't mess with me. Give it to me straight. And Daniel replied, and you got to love this. And I imagine a long dramatic pause here. There are no wise men enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. And then I like to think that he stopped. Like, so Nebuchadnezzar's like, his blood is starting to boil. Like, he's like, okay, I was, I was all set to kill you. You said, don't kill me. Tell, I'll tell you what your dream is. Then you told Ariok, hey, I know the dream. I know the secret. Ariok came and said, hey, I know a guy. I found a guy um, who's among the captives, and he'll tell you. And so I said to you, Daniel, Belshazzar, can you tell me? And Daniel's like, well, actually, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Dramatic pause. Like, you guys watch The Voice? Carrie loves the voice. This is the time when we would say, right after this break, like, let's tell you who's going to get voted off right now, right this second. You've been watching for 52 minutes so that you will know this answer just after these messages. So there's this long, dramatic pause in my mind. And he says, there's nobody that can tell you your secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now, I will tell you your dream, and I'll tell you the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. And that's what he says. He says, I'm going to tell you your dream, 
and I'm going to tell you your visions. But if you keep reading in verses 29 and 30, he also says, it's not because I'm wiser than your other wise men. You got to love that, right? He, he's, he's evangelizing Nebuchadnezzar at this point in time. He says, I'm going to tell you your dream. I'm going to tell you what it meant. I'm going to tell you what it was. It was a vision of the future that the God in heaven, the God in heaven gave to you. He's revealing secrets to you about what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you, but it's not because I'm great. It's not because I'm awesome. It's simply because the God of the universe has chosen to tell me so that I can tell you. That's all this is. Think about the the awesome feeling that that must be for Daniel to be able to stand before Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and say, you know what? You did ask for something unreasonable. But there's a God in heaven who tells you, and, and there is something he desperately wants you to know. He has put this on your heart so that you would know it. Let me share it with you. How cool would that be? Except here's the deal. You actually have that opportunity every day. Because there is a God in, the, in, in heaven, the God of the universe, who desperately wants people to know something from his heart to theirs. He desperately wants them to know it. And he's given us the opportunity to stand in front of them and say, hey, hey, you know what? With man, this, none of this is possible, but there is a God in heaven, right? And he desperately wants you to know. It's that 2 Corinthians 5 stuff that we are agents of reconciliation. He desperately wants you to know that there is a God in heaven who through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on the cross is not counting people's sins against them any longer. And we speak for God when we say to people, come back, come back to God. He's not mad at you. He wants you to come home. That's what, that's what Daniel gets to do for Nebuchadnezzar. It's what we get to do for people all the time. But so then Daniel says, here's your dream. You had this weird dream about this big statue and a big rock that got thrown at the statue and then the rock turned into a mountain and it took over everything. You can read that later. I'm gonna give you the highlights. Here's the highlights, right? He dreamed of this giant statue that was made up of um, five different kinds of, of uh, material, and then of a rock that a hand picked up out of the ground and threw to crush the statue, and then the rock, after the statue had been crushed, turned into a giant mountain that was unmovable and unshakable. And so here's, here's what Daniel says as he's relaying this to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, um, by the way, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar, you're pretty cool. You are the most powerful. You are the head of gold. There is not a king like you. There has not been a king like you. You're pretty awesome. But you're not going to last forever. After you will come another, right? And that's the chest of arm, chest and arms of silver. And that, that's the, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. And they're coming after you. We know it's the Medes and the Persians. Daniel didn't say that by name. He said, there's another kingdom coming after yours. It's not as powerful as yours, but it's powerful, right? But we know through history that that's the Medes and the Persians, right? And then there's a belly and thighs of bronze, and that is the kingdom of ancient Greece. And then the legs of iron, and we're told about the legs of iron, that there has never been a kingdom like that one before. There has never been a kingdom like the legs of iron, like the, the, the legs of iron. There's never been something like that. We know that that is the, the Roman Empire, that's coming. And then he says, and there will be feet of iron and clay. That's something that's yet to happen. But then Daniel gets to this part. This is what matters for us right now. 
44 and 45, he says, During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or be conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. The rock that's picked, that's thrown, that crushes all other kingdoms, that turns into an unmovable, unshakable mountain is the kingdom of God, which will not ever perish. And so Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, that's what God showed you. And the meaning is true, and the meaning is certain, and it will come to pass. And that's a dangerous thing for Daniel to tell Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar probably at this point in time fancies him the ruler of the world for the rest of his existence, through himself and through his lineage. But here's what he says. You got to focus this. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. By the way, you're awesome because God has made you awesome, not because you did anything great. Really, the truth is God elevated Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian army to do one thing. You know what that one thing was? To discipline Israel. God raised Babylon to power so that The Babylonians could go and they could conquer Israel and Israel could be sent into exile because that is the judgment for their sin that's been talked about for centuries. That's why it happened. So he says, your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven gave you sovereignty. He gave you power. He gave you strength and honor. He made you ruler over all the inhabited world. And he put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You're the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, and it will, It absolutely will. After your kingdom comes to an end. I don't know what you're banking on this morning, but if it is not ridiculous faith in the God of the universe, hear me, it will come to an end. You're young, right? Listen, it's not going to last forever. Travis and I were having a conversation just the other day about how fast time goes. And I don't think he got it. Like he turned 16 today. He's, he's 16 years old. Um, and I remember when Carrie and I went to the hospital, like it feels like yesterday. She woke me up and said, Hey, my water broke. And I said, okay. Do you need any help? And she said louder hey, get up. We have to go to the hospital. Okay, we got it. Right? And then today, 16. And it feels like yesterday. We were, we were saying, Travis and I, this is why we're talking about, we've been in Vinton almost five years. Five years we've lived here in Vinton. Doesn't feel like that long. Right? Time flies. So you're, you're just counting on being young. You're counting on getting a lot of time. It's fleeting. Man, it won't last. You're good looking. I used to be. That's not going to last either. You got a full head of hair? Jim, tell them about it. I, there's several of you I could have gone with. Jim caught my eye. He's taller than everybody else, so I didn't have... Listen, I don't know what you're banking on. Nebuchadnezzar had a lot to bank on, right? He had a lot of faith in a lot of things, mostly in himself. 
you got a great job, you got a healthy bank account, right? Your savings is where it needs to be. Your college fund's fully funded. Your retirement's good to go. That's all fine and good. You can bank on a lot of things, guys. But after your kingdom comes to an end, and your kingdom, whatever you're building it on, it will absolutely come to an end. It will. After your kingdom comes to an end, God has one that will never be shaken and will never be moved. And here's the deal. It crushes all other kingdoms. So whatever you're counting on, whatever you're relying on, if it is not the God of the universe in ridiculous faith, if you are relying on something else, listen to me. Oh my goodness, this is going to sting. I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you what God's word means. If you are relying on something that is not the God of the universe, if you are looking at something else, no matter how good it might seem, no matter how healthy it might appear. If you are counting on something other than the God of the universe to sustain you, listen to me, God will crush it in front of you. He will pick up a rock, the kingdom of God, and he will throw it and he will crush it and the kingdom will be in its place. Don't rely on something that's not him. Ridiculous faith in the God of the universe is the only thing that will sustain you and get you through. And then we finish this. This is, this is how it ends. And, and um, we get to the end and, and Nebuchadnezzar makes good on his promise, right? He elevates Daniel um, to the chief, his chief counsel. Basically, he says, Daniel, you're my guy. It's funny how God uses dreams to do that. You know where else he did that? Um, he did that with Pharaoh and Joseph back in Genesis. Pharaoh had these dreams that he couldn't explain. Joseph, because God gave him the, the ability to do it, Joseph interprets the dream, and the response that Pharaoh has is, you know what, Joseph? You're right next to me. You stay by me, because whatever you've got, I want. And, and what, what he's got, what Daniel has, that Nebuchadnezzar says, you're with me. You do not leave my court again. If I wake up in a fright one more time, if I wake up having night tears in the middle of the night and I call for the magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, and I want them all, I don't want them all running into my room. I just want you. I want you here telling me because your God, here's what he says. He says, Daniel, your God is better than all the other gods. He's not quite there yet. He doesn't quite get it yet. He doesn't quite understand that there is only one God right? But here's what he knows. The one that Daniel serves is better than everybody else put together. He says, so Daniel, you're with me. You're in charge. And Daniel says, that's great. Hey, I got these three buddies who worship the same God that I do. Put them in charge of everything else. And so that's what happens. Daniel stays in the court with Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They become the rulers, basically the authorities over the city of Babylon because of this moment. And we'll see why that matters next week as people get jealous and try to usurp Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'll talk more about that, but, but here's what happens. Guys, I don't know what you're counting on, but your faith needs to be in the God of the universe. And when your faith is in the God of the universe, it gets to be ridiculous because God will do all kinds of things. That's just all there is to it. Ask the praise team to come up um, and the ushers to come forward. We're gonna prepare to collect this morning's offering. Here are a couple of quick announcements and close our service. I, I just wanna tell you this. I want, to, I want to remind you this, um, that when you step out in faith, when you act in faith, I know that it will be scary. 
If your faith does not scare you, if your faith does not give you pause, if your faith doesn't cause you to be in the midst of something that is so much bigger than you, then may I suggest that you have your faith in the wrong thing. If your faith is explainable, then you're trusting in something explainable. But if your faith scares you, if your faith is such that, you know what, it is not something I can do on my own, but your faith is so big that if God doesn't show up, I am sunk, then that's where you step into ridiculous faith in the God of the universe. I'm gonna pray for um, us. I'm gonna pray for our offering um, and pray for some folks in the body. I wanna remind you before we pray, if you're visiting with us, you're under no obligation to participate in offering this morning. This is something that those of us that call Blessed Hope home, that we do to fund the ministries of the church. And listen, the ministries of the church are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're all about demonstrating ridiculous faith and taking it where it needs to be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for, uh, for being a God that loves and cares for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that Daniel is of staunch, steadfast faithfulness and just showing us that when we step out into ridiculous faith and we focus not on our issue, but on you, not on the obstacle or the problem, but we focus on you, the sovereign God of the universe, the only one who is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, immutable, unchangeable. You are powerful and just and kind and good. When we focus on you, God, that we are immortal and we are bold and we can step out in faith and we can do a lot of things that don't seem possible because you will do the impossible to accomplish your will through us. Thank you for that truth and that reminder. God, I pray that you'll help us live like that. I pray that we'll look at you instead of our obstacles. You know, it's one thing to talk about dreams and Nebuchadnezzar, but it's another thing, God, to talk about marriages and health and kids and bank accounts and jobs and neighbors and families. Those are the things that we struggle with. Help us to focus on not the obstacle, but to have ridiculous faith in you as we step out and we risk and we do things that honor you. Father, we pray that you'll just move us in that direction. I pray that you'll take this offering that we're about to collect, that you'll multiply it, that you'll use it in mighty ways to bring your kingdom to people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives, the hope of Jesus to a hurting world, that you will help us infiltrate the community with the gospel, that you'll um, bring hope where there's hopelessness, that you'll help us take light where there's darkness, and ultimately, God, that you'll help us bring life where there is currently only death. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the grace that you give. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.